welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Lewis County, Washington. During each episode, you will discover the sermons, exhortations, discussions, and interviews from our various weekly gatherings. Christ Covenant Church is a historically reformed and evangelical church that has been serving the greater Centralia Chehalis area since May of 2021. We meet for worship each Lord's Day to sing psalms and hymns, confess our historic faith, hear the word faithfully proclaimed, and celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Throughout the week, we go out into the world to build the kingdom of Christ right here in Lewis County. If this sounds like a vision for you, we would love to have you join us. Head on over to lewiscounty.church, that is lewiscounty.church, where you will find a calendar of events as well as current times and locations for worship. Please enjoy the following audio. This morning, I have two passages I'd like us to read before we begin. The first is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. These are the words of God. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And secondly, from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'll read verses... Four through six. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. These are the words of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good, you are almighty, you are holy. And you have given us your word, the scriptures, as a lamp to our feet. And so, Father, we thank you for this word and for the opportunity to open it and to submit ourselves to it. Give us ears to hear what it says and hearts to believe it by faith. Bless now the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please be seated. It is wonderful to be down here with you all again this has been a, a busy bunch while uh, in the last month and a half while we've been uh, since the last time we came down here. Um, I wanted to also take a moment and bring you greetings from Trinity Church. We pray for you guys regularly in our worship service, and so it's exciting to hear updates about things that are going on in your community with the school, uh, about the call of Aaron Ventura. Aaron's a very good friend of mine, so I'm very excited to have him come and be a pastor here with you all. Um, and also wanted to bring you greetings from, there's a, a mission church up in um, the Anacortes area, and I was up there preaching for them about a month ago, and they were asking for updates about what's going on down here, and they're praying for you guys too, and wanted to pass on greetings to you. So, greetings 
from all the churches in Washington. There you go. Um, we are, uh, as my custom has been as I come down here to preach through Ephesians, but I'm not going to do that this morning, as you may have noticed. Um, we are uh, about to, or have already entered into the next school season. Christ the King Academy is about to start. I was talking with a number of people already that have begun their school year, whether it's homeschooling or other schools that are up and running. Um, and at Trinity Church, it has been our custom over many years, uh, right around this time, to do a sermon, to take one Sunday and give a particular sermon on Christian education, the need for Christian education. Um, and so I wanted to take the opportunity to do that with you all here this morning. We are at war. We are at war. And this war is as old as our race. Since the day that our first parents broke God's command and plunged mankind into sin and spiritual death, since then, the world has been at war. When God cursed the serpent, God told that dragon that there would be enmity between his seed and the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15 There would forever be enmity between the seed of the, of the dragon, the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman. And the line between these two sides then divides the whole human race. The whole human race, from all of history past and all of history future, is divided between these two sides. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And this means that there is a constant need in every generation to train up the next generation of Christians to know this war. To know the war that they are born into. And to teach them who their captain is. To equip them to fight. Joseph Stalin understood the need for education. Joseph Stalin is probably not somebody you normally hear quoted in sermons. But he understood the need for education as he sought to train generations to take the side of the dragon in the God-hating, atheistic communism that, he, that was his worldview. This is what Stalin said. Education is a weapon whose effects depend on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed. In other words, education is not uh, it is a, in one sense, a neutral thing in that it's a tool. It's a weapon to be used. But it's not neutral in the sense that um, it doesn't matter what it's for. It doesn't matter what it's pointed at. In fact, it matters very, very much. Stalin was not wrong. And so if we are Christians and we believe the passages that we read where Scripture speaks about training up our children... Well, then we need to understand that the purpose of Christian education is to train up God's children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 4. The purpose of Christian education is to train up God's children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, equipping them to take their place in the gate and to take the fight to the enemy. In Psalm 127, the psalmist speaks of children being raised up in a, in a believer's home, believing home as arrows in the hands of a mighty man. They are being trained up to then be sent out at the enemy. Christian education is not something that we are uh, we're trying to pull away from the world in order to hide in our enclaves. Rather, Christian education is an opportunity to regroup, sharpen the arrows, and send them out. And if Christian education doesn't end with that, if that's not the result of Christian education our children being equipped and sent out to fight and to carry on this, this uh, 
war as old as history, then it's falling short. And all of this, all the while submitting everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians 3.17, In everything that you do, whether you eat or you drink, do it all to the glory of the Lord Jesus. So let me put all that together again one more time. The purpose of Christian education is to train up God's children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, equipping them to take their place in the gate and take the fight to the enemy, all the while submitting everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what we mean by a Christ-centered Christian education. So what I'd like to do for the sermon this morning is first examine these two passages that we looked at from Deuteronomy 6 and 2 Corinthians 10, in part to show you that, yes, this... I'm speaking to the choir here in large part, I know. But it's important to see that, yes, this is what Scripture teaches. That Christian education is required. Christian education is what God's people are called to. I want to show you that from the Scripture. And then I want to take some time and talk about six particular uh, internal enemies to Christian education. The kinds of things that will destroy any work of Christian education from within. That's what we're going to do this morning. And... I'll, we'll talk about this more later, but I want to make sure that, I, uh, that, that you all know that I'm speaking very broadly about Christian education. We're going to talk uh, later about the difference between principles and methods. And it's, but it's important for you to hear, especially as there's this great, wonderful movement going on with Christ the King Academy. That's, that's not the only form of Christian education. Faithful Christian homeschools and co-ops and online faithful online Christian education, all of it falls under the umbrella of Christian education that is seeking to equip Christians for this war that you are in. So I'm speaking very broadly here. So let's begin with looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Please do, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In this text, the scriptures set out clearly God's command to his people to train their children according to his ways. And this is not unique to Deuteronomy. It's not unique to the Old Testament. This is, in fact, what Paul is echoing when he says in Ephesians 6 to fathers, particularly, fathers, uh, do not provoke your children to wrath, but train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think Paul has in mind uh, Deuteronomy 6. Let's actually look at this for just a moment because I want to prove to you that this is what I think Paul has in mind. If you're in Deuteronomy 6, turn back a page or so, and you'll find Deuteronomy 5, which is the second giving of the Ten Commandments. The second giving of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were first given in Exodus chapter 20. They're reiterated then in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we know the uh, fifth commandment. Verse, chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Okay, so this is Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments, this fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. Okay, keep your finger there. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may may live long on the earth. And then the next verse is where 
Paul gives his instruction to fathers about training up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I think Paul very clearly has the, the context of the Ten Commandments and God's people getting ready to go in and take the land of Canaan as he's writing this to believers. Training your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is, is something that's in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. This is what God's people do. And I want you to see that. Moses had just given, in Deuteronomy 6 then, Moses had just given the Ten Commandments and now, in chapter 6, he calls on the people and their children and their grandchildren to keep all of God's words. You see that in verses um, 1, 2, and 3 in chapter 6. Moses is speaking to the people and he tells them to keep all of God's commandments that he commands them and their sons and their grandsons all the days of their life. This command is a generational command. And it's something that they are to do so that, verse 3 tells us, so that it may go well with you and you may multiply greatly as the Lord God your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. This is given to God's people. This command to, to keep God's commands through generations is given as part of the mission of going into the promised land and taking it over. These words are then summed up. Uh, Jesus will tell us in the New Testament. But they, these are summed up in the command to love their God, the one Lord, with everything they have and everything they are. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment. And it sums up all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and everything you are. And then Moses goes on. He says, these words are to be in the hearts of the people. But it's not just to be in the hearts of the people. It's to be taught and discussed with their children. In everything, in all the things that they do. Look at verse 7 with me. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So you shall teach these words, these commands to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In everything that you're doing, you're talking about what God has said. They're to do this with their children in, in all aspects of life. But not only that, the um, God's words are supposed to be ever before their eyes, ever before their hands. He says to bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The Jews would take this quite literally and they would um, take a little, a little container and write God's, some of God's law on it and roll it up and put it in the container and bind it around their head. They would write it on bands around their arms. Why? Because in everything that they see, they want to see the world through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of what God has said. In everything they do, whenever you use your hands, you should see God's Word in, 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 uh, influencing everything that you are doing. It's always before your eyes. It's always on your hands as you go about your day-to-day -day work. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Which means that then as you go out of your home, what are you doing? You are passing out into the world under God's word. And then when you come back home in, you're coming back home under God's word. All of your going out, all of your coming in, it's submitting everything to what God has said. 
And this is what God says. Submitting themselves to his word in these ways means that it will go well for you in this promised land. It will go well for you. This total commitment to and total integration of God's word in everything that they do and think is part of taking the pagan promised land. This is Deuteron- the book of Deuteronomy records basically is a recording of sermons that Moses gives as they are finishing, as the people of Israel are finishing the 40 years in the wilderness, where they have been told, you may not go into the land of Canaan for 40 years. Now that 40 years is complete, and Moses is giving a series of sermons reminding the people of God's law, right before Joshua takes over and they go into the land of Canaan and they battle against the pagan nations. And it's in the context of that that God says to Moses, make sure that the people know they need to train up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Make sure that the people know that their children need to be talking with them about God's ways in everything they do as they go in, as they, as they come in, as they go out, as they go by the wayside, as they get up and lie down. In everything, God's word is to be ever before them. And this is part of taking over these pagan cultures. And this is exactly what the church has been called to do. You guys are familiar with this verse, um, at least from when I come down and preach. And I feel like I use this verse every sermon. But Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and baptize the nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. We, we are to go and teach what God has commanded. That, that's how the church takes over the world. Because it's already Jesus. It already belongs to Jesus. He already bought it. And so we are then to go and disciple the nations, teaching them his word. That begins with instructing and teaching our children. But I want us, it, it is sometimes easy to separate and divorce the idea of evangelizing the world, teaching the world, sending out missionaries, and teaching your children. And that dichotomy is, is entirely unbiblical. It's entirely unbiblical. Moses, Jesus, all of the Bible teaches us that training up our children is part of discipling the world, discipling the nations. That's how God works. And again, it's not so that you can teach your children and then they teach their children and then they teach their children and it all just stays right here. No, it's supposed to work its way out into the world. They are to go out and be those arrows, but they need to be equipped and sharpened first. And so I want to pause here for a moment and address the, the children. Uh, anybody that is, the children and the teachers and everybody that is starting a new school year. You are about to enter into another school year where you're going to be doing homework. You're going to be sitting through classes. You're going to be listening to lectures. You're going to be doing drawings. You're going to be participating in plays and sports and all kinds of things. And lots of those things, you're reading, you're studying, you're memorizing, those math assignments, some of it seems really boring and really pointless. I don't want to be an engineer. I don't want to pursue math. Why in the world do I need to learn these things? I couldn't give a rip about Latin. Why are you teaching it to me? Right? Okay, I've been there. What you are entering into is boot camp. What you are entering into is training. It's training you up. 
in the fear and admonition of the Lord, if it is Christ-centered education, where all of those subjects are actually recognized as under the lordship of Jesus, what you are learning is that everything belongs to Jesus. And so then you are being trained up to think as a Christian that believes that everything belongs to Jesus. And so kids, as you go through this school year, and there are lots of times where you are going to be exhausted, where you don't want to pay attention anymore, where you don't want to do your homework, where it seems really pointless and you don't understand why, remember, remember, you are preparing for battle. That's why you're doing it. You're preparing for battle. And when you, if you participate in sports, a lot of times you do drills that seem really pointless. Sometimes you do conditioning and you run laps or you run, run lines and it seems really pointless. But your coach knows better. He knows the fight that's coming in the next game and he tells you, no, these are good for you. We need to do these things. So listen to your parents. Listen to your teachers. They are training you up for war. Speaking of warfare, this is what Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 10. So let's go ahead and turn there now. In 2 Corinthians 10, the passage we read is verses 4 through 6. Paul reminds Christians that this war is not fought with physical weapons. Our war is not a physical war where we're going out in the same way that the Israelites were and and actually doing physical battle with the pagan uh, nations around us. But this doesn't mean that our warfare is easy. It doesn't mean that the... The, um, that, are, that we are weak because of this. Rather, Paul says that our weapons are mighty. They are not carnal. They're, they're not physical. They're not fleshly, but they are mighty. And they're mighty in God for the purpose of devastating the strongholds of false gods and ideologies. They are devastating to idolatry. Idolatry of every sort. These are the weapons that we wield. The weapons of our faith are primarily faith, belief in Christ, submitting everything to his lordship. And so if if this is true, as we go out and as we wield our faith through our education, by means of our education, as we wield the sword of the spirit, as Paul will talk about in Ephesians 6, Part of what is involved in that is then bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What we are doing is we want to go out into the world and we want to say, you can't, you are are not allowed, you're not able to really think, to really use reason and think that um, that, that you can accomplish anything in the end apart from submitting that to Christ. Apart from submitting that to the word. The reason that we have logic is because there is the logos. The word. Jesus Christ. He is the source of it all. And so there is no, there is no subject. There is no thinking. There is no, um, no pursuit that is not already his. We want to bring every thought captive. But in order to bring down strongholds of unbelief in order to bring unbelieving thought into captivity to Christ, Christians must first do this in their own hearts and in their own minds. Your Christian education is not worth anything if it is not first changing the way that you think 
and the things that you believe. If you are not learning to submit your own thoughts to the captivity of obedience to Christ, then it doesn't matter what you study. It's not going to profit you anything in the end. It's not enough to learn skills and arguments and histories. It's not enough to learn maths and languages and music. They must be learned on the foundation of the Lordship of Jesus because He is Lord of it all. Let me read for you from Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Start in verse 15. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. That is, by Jesus, by means of Jesus, everything was created, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, through Jesus, through the word spoken. By the Father. All things were created through Him and for Him. There is nothing that has been created. There is nothing that God has done that is not done for the Son, for Christ. Not only that, He is before all things and in Him all things consist. All things come together. All things cohere. They find their meaning in Christ. And so it's not enough to get a good education. It's not enough to um, have wonderful teachers. If it is not all submitted and learned on the foundation of Jesus' lordship, then we fall short of what Scripture calls us to. If this is not expressly taught out loud, unapologetically, if this is not expressly taught, and as far as it is up to us, accomplished, in our education. If this is not expressly taught, and insofar as it relies on us, accomplished in our education with our children, then our education fails. I was just speaking about this with my, um, my seniors at, at the school that I teach at. Um, at. At Providence, their senior year, they are supposed to present a senior thesis. It's sort of a capstone event of their education. And I tell them, if, um, if you graduate from school and fail your thesis, but you have learned to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, then we've accomplished our goal. That, that doesn't mean that your thesis doesn't matter, right? Because part of submitting everything to Christ includes a pursuit of excellence in everything that you do. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you could fail every class. And if you have learned to submit everything to Christ, then we have won. We've accomplished our goal. Now, usually those two things don't go together. Usually it's a mix of both, right? But I want you to see that. That is our goal in our education, in our Christ-centered education. And, and, and this is a little bit scary. If our children are not trained to take every thought captive, then there is a good chance, chance that the excellent education that we seek to give them, that we invest in, is only in the end equipping soldiers for the other side. 
Do you see that? It, that's why it's not enough to provide a good education. That's why classical education is not good on its own. Because all you are doing is training up really smart pagans. No, it must be Christ-centered education. Christ-centered classical education, or whatever it is, right? Christ-centered education is what we are after, ultimately. And so then in all our training, we must train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, submitting everything to His Lordship. So I, I strongly believe that this is what Scripture teaches. I hope you see it. Again, I believe I am speaking to the crowd, or speaking to the choir here, I think this church, because of all that I see you doing, because of the conversations I have, I've had with you, in general, I think we get this. But do you see it from Scripture? I don't want you to believe it because I believe it. I don't want you to believe it because the CREC teaches this. I don't want you to believe it because your elders believe it. I want you to believe it because it's what God says. Amen. Amen. Now, you should trust your teachers. You should trust the elders and the shepherds that God has given to you. But their job is to show you from the Word that this is what God says. Now, with all of that said, I want to, um, I want to uh, spur you on and exhort you as you go into the school year, and I want you to do it with your eyes open. There are um, many things, because we are sinners, and because any sort of endeavor like education involves a lot of people, and therefore it means a lot of sinners, means that there are lots of ways that this goes wrong. Right? So I want to highlight six, uh, what I'm calling six internal enemies of Christian education. There are other enemies outside. Right? There, there are other enemies like uh, governments that, that think that Christian education is um, wicked or uh, needs to be brought down. But I'm not talking about those enemies. I think we know those enemies. I want to talk about the internal enemies. The things that we need to be aware of as we go into these endeavors. The first one is um, divisiveness regarding methods. Divisiveness regarding methods. Number one, whenever the kids are involved, whenever the kids are at stake, emotions run high. Best place to see this is on the soccer pitch when the kids are in the you know, four to eight range. And parents go nuts when the ref makes a bad call. Right? Or Little League, you know, somebody calls it a ball and it should have been a strike and the parents just get livid. And the grandparents, right? And, and we forget, like, they're, these, they're this high, it's okay. But why is that? It's because it's our kids that we're talking about. We care about them. How much more so when we're talking about something like education and the formation of our children. We need to remember the difference between principles and methods. We must agree that parents must provide a Christian education for their children. This is the principle. Christian parents must provide a Christian education for their children. This is the principle that we agree on. And we have to apply this principle. So we have this principle, this big statement. And we have to say, okay, this is the statement we all believe. Now we have to apply it. What does that look like? And you are going to end up choosing to do something because... You think it's the best way to do it. You're going to choose to do some, to, to apply this principle in a certain way because you have to. And you're going to choose what you choose because you think it's best. You wouldn't choose it if you didn't think it was best. 
Right? We, always, we always choose the option that we think is the best option for us. And you probably notice that there are differences of opinion on this. Some people choose to do it one way because they think it's best, and others choose to do it another way because they think it's best. And what I'm not arguing is that all things are equal, all things are neutral, it doesn't matter. But whether we choose to homeschool, to be a part of a co-op, to day school, to be part of online school, or any combination of these, we must be charitable towards brothers and sisters who apply the principle differently. If they are seeking to apply it faithfully, seeking Christian education for their kids, submitting everything to the Lordship of Jesus, then we welcome them. We're on the same team. And the temptation is to start to divide over these methods. And as, as a school like Christ the King will start up, the temptation will be to have two crowds in Christ's covenant church. There will be the Christ the King crowd and the other crowd, the homeschool crowd. Okay? And some of that is unavoidable. It's not necessarily bad. But what needs to happen is there needs to be a recognition from both sides that we are on the same team, that we are actually working together even though we have different ways of applying this principle. It's okay that we have different interests. It's okay that we have different schedules. It's okay that we have different groups that we might hang out with more as long as we are going out of our way to love one another and not let that divide us. Do you see that? It's the same thing as you might have a crowd of people here that really, really prefer baseball to soccer. I don't, I don't personally understand why you would, but there, I could see that being a possibility. Okay? And you could have two crowds of people that they just con- consistently play different sports. But if they recognize that they're brothers and sisters in Christ, then that difference doesn't matter. It's the same thing for schooling. If we agree on the principle and we're able to look with charity at our brothers and sisters that are applying that principle faithfully and differently, then this thing goes. Then this thing persists. It carries on. We are on the same team. Okay, so number one, divisiveness regarding methods. Number two and three go together. Number two is idealism. Be wary of marring the good by fixating on the best. Be wary of marring the good by fixating on the best. In education, as in any community setting, there will be differences and shortcomings and limitations. Um, You guys are jumping into all kinds of wonderful endeavors and projects. Don't forget that you're finite. Right? Don't forget that we're all finite. Don't forget that there are limitations to what we can do. And we all have these visions of what we want to accomplish. And those visions are good and necessary. But remember who you are. There will be some who are visionary and can see further, and there will be others who are just barely keeping up. And that's okay. Don't don't mar the good by fixating on the best. Bonhoeffer said, uh, speaking of Christian community, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Don't be so in love with the dream of the education that you're pursuing that you actually destroy the endeavor itself. We live in a world full of limitations, and we are finite and sinful people. Don't forget that. But along with this, so number two is idealism, number three is complacency. This is another 
internal enemy of Christian education. At the same time, we must strive for excellence. In education, as in any of our Christian endeavors, we ought to remember one of the mantras that comes out of the Reformation. Semper Reformanda. Always reforming. We must not grow weary in doing good. We must press further up and further in, to borrow from Lewis. And when Christians become complacent, when you think you have arrived, which is probably not the, the, um, the temptation in front of this community right now as you're just getting started. But know that it's coming. That temptation is coming. Okay? When Christians become complacent, the enemy advances. Okay? And those two things, idealism and complacency, I think I want you to see them as um, opposing enemies, but they're both enemies of you. They're kind of on opposite sides of the spectrum. They're in tension with one another. And the way that you fight both of them at the same time is by being easy to please. So you're not idealistic and hard to satisfy. So you're not complacent. Easy to please, hard to satisfy. Number one, divisiveness regarding methods. Number two, idealism. Number three, complacency. Number four. Number four is envy. Let me just read one verse for you. Matthew chapter 27. Jesus has been brought before the Jews, before the, um, the high priests. He has been tried in a sham trial. They have convicted him, and they are taking him to Pilate. They've brought him before Pilate, and because they're not allowed to execute um, a criminal, so they bring him to the Romans. And this is what Pilate says. Matthew 27, uh, I'll start at verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Uh, Barabbas was a murderer and a uh, a rabble-rouser. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? And this is the verse that we need to hear. For Pilate knew that they had handed him over because of envy. The Pharisees, the scribes, the high priests, they did not hate Jesus and deliver him over to be crucified because they disagreed with him on doctrine. It it was not a doctrinal issue. It was because they were envious of Christ. They were envious of the power that he had, of the influence that he had, of the fact that he was right. That's why they handed him over to Pilate. Envy of influence or success or popularity of methods, of natural abilities, of opportunities. Really, envy of just about anything will destroy the fellowship of Christians that are seeking together to train up their children. If envy gets in your system... You're hosed, apart from the grace of Christ, bringing it out and, and letting it come to light and being dealt with. Do not envy one another. Related to this, then, is uh, number five. Unconfessed sin. Jesus said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
He wasn't talking about sin particularly there. He was talking about grace. Grace is infectious. The work of the kingdom is infectious. But so is sin when it goes unconfessed. Sin is infectious when it goes unconfessed. It festers. And since we are a body, it affects everything. Honest confession of sin in all the relationships involved in the variety of school settings. Again, doesn't matter if you're in an academy or in your home school or in a co-op or online. Unconfessed sin will tear things apart because everything will start to rot underneath. So be honest. Honest confession of sin. Taking responsibility for your own words, your own actions towards others. This is what will this is a key to keeping the lights on and keeping the ship on mission. Dealing with un- dealing with sin, not leaving sin unconfessed. Finally, uh, number 6 is idolatry. Christian education is necessary. I think we know that and we've seen that from scripture these passages that we've looked at. Christian education is necessary. But we must not think, we may not think, that if we just get it right, or if we do it hard enough, or if we do it long enough, or we teach the right classes, or we get the right teachers, or we have the right administration, or we have the right building, we have the right programs, if we, that then our kids will be fine. If that's how we think of it, then it is nothing less than idolatry. If education is not done by faith in Christ trusting in God and in His promises, then it is futile. It won't work. Our education must point to the Savior. It may not be the Savior. It cannot be the Savior. It's not a Savior. Right? It, it will be insufficient, and so when we treat it like the Savior, we're missing the whole point. So number one, these are the internal enemies of Christian education. This wonderful endeavor that we are uh, that, that you all are about to jump into in this new school year, starting up a new institution, being a part of different homeschools and co-ops. Don't divide. Don't divide the church over methods. Don't be idealists. Don't grow complacent. Don't give in to envy. Don't leave sin unconfessed. And do not treat education as an idol. It is not a savior. What's really fascinating about this is the fact that um, a secular, materialistic world thinks that education is a savior, right? If, if the world is materialistic, if there is no God, and yet people are doing bad things, why are they doing bad things? Ultimately, it must be because they don't know any better. And so what do we need to do? We need to train them. Um, all, all idols... All idolatry, all false doctrine, all false teaching has a kernel of truth in it. They understand the importance of education, but they think that that education is what will fix problems, ultimately. And it won't. It can't. If it is apart from the Lordship of Christ. And so, in conclusion, remember that you and your children and your grandchildren are in a war. You've been commissioned by your king to go and take the land. And he has given you everything that you need in order to accomplish this. That conquest includes the training up of the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And it starts with day one and goes on to day two. 
and then day three. The stakes are incredibly high. They're very high. But do not forget, and this, I, I, I want you to, if you remember nothing else from this sermon, then take this away. The reason that Jesus commands his people to go and take over the world is because it has already been given to him. The reason he tells you to go and take over the world by training up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is because it's already his. In other words, the ground on which we stand as we do battle is Christ's victory. He has already won, and so his victory must be the foundation for our education. That's the ground on which we build everything. It's the victory of Christ. Let me close with one, with two verses from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the end of the chapter. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the salvation and the victory that we have in Christ. We thank you that you call us to join in this warfare, to stand with one another and with our children against the powers of darkness. Father, help us to apply these things to our lives, especially as we move forward into a new school year. Be with this group of Christians as they seek to apply the the principle of submitting everything to the Lordship of Christ, including their education, in the variety of ways that they seek to do so. Give them strength and energy for it, Pour out your blessings upon their faithfulness. Build them up. Pick them up as they fall short. Help them to see that all of it is grounded upon the victory and the grace that you have already given to us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.